Come on around back, Arizona, Saturday morning, 8 o'clock, the outdoor living hour of Rosie on the House. Your Saturday morning tradition since 1988. If you're following along in the homeowner handbook and calendar, you know today, third Saturday of the month, notes from the nursery, Jay Harper's in. And we're talking subtropical plants. If you'd like to join the conversation about anything regarding your landscape, or garden, one triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight Rosie for you. Text questions can be sent to four one one nine two three. And you can also snap a photo or a short video and email that to info at rosieonthehouse.com if you need a little help with plant or insect identification. And Mr. Jay Harper, you've got a special guest with you this morning. You know, we do. And uh, so, uh, you know, you and I. Uh, here a while back, worked out a deal with VNP Nurseries to sponsor one uh, Saturday a quarter uh, as kind of a to bring in as a reward to some of our uh, their customers. Um, and uh, Treeland Nurseries, Keith Waldemeyer is here with us. Treeland Nurseries been a valued customer of VNP Nurseries for many, many, many years, and um, been a great partnership. And uh, wanted to have Keith on. Wanted to talk about some of VNP's, uh, what I would call proprietary or branded plants that that they've brought online over the years. And Keith's thoughts on those. And he's sure helped them build uh, a great brand with uh, a lot of those plants. And and as just as it happens, you know, we're sitting here you know, just past the middle of February, past typically the the last normal average frost date that we have, at least here in the valley, not necessarily Tucson or, or other places. So we're, we're in pretty safe to plant, probably pretty safe to prune back territory. And uh, just with that, I want to say welcome, Keith, and uh, thanks for coming on. Thank you all. It's a pleasure to be on here with you and an honor. Um, Jay, I've known you most of my life and uh, been a great family friend, and it's a, it's a pleasure to be on here with you guys. Thank you. Yeah, we, uh, you know, we do go back with Waldemar family a long time. But uh, when we had Harper's Nursery and we we're kind of friendly competitors across town, and right. um, bought a lot of plant material from Keith and his dad, and yeah, been been fun. Um, and uh, we want to make sure that uh, you're well taken care of. <laughs> so, uh, what's your favorite of all the V and P offerings? Well, uh, in the in the sub in kind of in the range of plant material that we're talking about today. So we're talking bougainvilleas and hibiscus and uh, tacomas, all those things that might be just a little subject to some of the cold weather that we had earlier this winter. Well, yeah, you, like you said, you guys do a great job of really um, growing a lot of different varieties that'll do well here. Uh, bougainvilleas, of course, have always been very very popular, but I would say my favorite. Uh, Variety is going to be your 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 line of Tacomas that you grow, the Sparkies, the Bells of Fire, but it has all those compact varieties that uh, stay smaller than the regular old Yellow Bells or Orange Jubilees that everybody are accustomed to. Um, but, and, and 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 they still grow those as right, well. Correct. Uh, regular old Yellow Bells and Orange Jubilees are still amongst the best, some of the best sellers that we have, and, and are very versatile. But uh, yeah, so a gentleman named George Hull, did you ever meet George? I have not, no. Uh, George is no longer with us, but, um, you know, George was a long time, in fact, one of his first jobs out of, he was a Ohio State 
uh, the Ohio State University <laughs> graduate and uh, came to Phoenix and worked for my dad for, for a while okay. and amongst other places. But George got into the, you know, the breeding and, and uh, uh, he created a number of those different Tacomas mm -hmm. uh, for for VNP and and uh, we've the, the the valley and even outside the valley I have a a cousin that lives in Albuquerque and I was at her house in, well, Septemberish and walking around she did bought an old historic kind of house and uh, lo and behold there's some bells of fire and different things you know right there in Albuquerque New Mexico um, huh. just for you know spots of color. And uh, so, yeah, it, the, the Tacomas have been, you know, just a just a tremendous uh, plant for us here uh, all over the state of Arizona, I would say. Yeah, and I think the biggest thing is, like you said, just as far as blooming, even in Albuquerque, it's something that, you know, a lot of the year here in, in the Phoenix area that uh, they just perform and give you color to your yard. And with yards shrinking anymore, you know, having that compact option uh, to fit in the yard is a great choice. Yeah, and... You know, with people, especially uh, if you look at all of the high-rise condominium-type projects that are that are going in around the valley, so those folks are are relegated to really container planting, and you know that right. all of those smaller Tacomas are fabulous um, for especially for summer color, but for year-round color and containers, they're 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 great choice absolutely the other one that i i don't know how much you guys have done with that bogan via alexandra which is another uh vnp proprietary uh plant but that i use in my front pots i plant geraniums in the winter and you know about may i'll take those out and i'll put alexandras in just using them as a summer uh, annual in my pots and they're they're tremendous now it's definitely been a popular one for us also um, the nice thing about the alexandra is they again they stay a little smaller compact in a pot they're great um where you know a lot of bougainvilleas will grow quite large yeah. so it's easy to easy yeah to there's, there's literally no may i don't have to prune them touch right. them do anything to them they're just the perfect size for for a you know a decent sized pot you know but right. uh, uh they 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 work really really well and we uh uh we appreciate you guys uh, supporting, uh, porting that and planting, you know, carrying lots of uh, our material. So it's it's wonderful. What's your favorite? Uh, uh, not necessarily just of any of those, but, you know, do you have a favorite? I'm a little partial to some of the emu varieties out there anymore, The some okay. of the natives from Australia. Yeah. Um, Bluebell emu is a nice kind of compact form of a Texas sage if I had to compare it to something. Okay, yeah. Um, just a heavy bloomer. It's going to bloom uh, most of the year, it seems like, and little to no pruning whatsoever. I, I, I'm, I'm a fan of a lot of the emu varieties. Um, you guys grow as well. Yeah, there's, uh, there's another one that's just, uh, you know, they've been around a long time, but all of a sudden there's, not all of a sudden, but in the last 10 years or so, there's been a number of new varieties and cultivars of those that have really caught on. And and fill a fill a tremendous void as we're trying to, you know, become more and more uh, responsible and conscious of water consumption and plants that do well in the in the heat. And last summer was a great test for for any plant yeah, right. <laughs> that could survive that onslaught of how many days was it over 110? Rosie, do you I, know? I think do you? we've all chosen to block that from our memory. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Thirty. Thirty. Yeah, S straight. 
I believe so. Yeah, straight. Not whole just month of July. The whole month yeah, of July. Yeah, whole month of July. Straight of 110, not yeah. just. And no rain. There's been there's been years we've had 30, 110 degree days, right. but not straight. Right, we'd get a break. So I don't you know, know what the total 110, but straight was, uh, was just brutal. But yeah. great test for what does well in your plant. And then, and then here we go into when it was January, and we have some pretty hard, hard freeze. Hard freezes, yes. Yeah, both extremes. Uh, so plants that will tolerate uh, 130 degrees, 30 straight days of 110, and then a hard freeze six months later, you got to be pretty tough. Yeah, absolutely. Now going back when I was a when I was when I was a kid, we'd always give my grandpa a hard time when he started the company. He couldn't pick uh, you know San Diego or LA to grow into. You know, he had to pick Phoenix, which was the most <laughs> difficult. He loved a challenge. Yeah. Well, there's no challenge in San Diego. <laughs> no, no. LA. <laughs> right. <laughs> I was at a your dad and I were at a meeting one time in a nursery deal in in uh, Orange County. Mm-hmm. And they were, this was back, you know, in California goes through these booms and busts with water. You know, right now they got more water than they know what to do with, you know, and certain, and two years from now they'll be screaming drought again. Right. But, so they were in the midst of a drought and they were, you know, really getting into the low water use, different varieties. And, and we're staying at this nice resort and there's camellias and gardenias and just, Plants, I don't even know what half of them are, mm-hmm. and the, and the and the guy giving the presentation is like, you know, I don't know, you know, this is a this is a desert, and I don't know why we ever started landscaping with this kind of plant planting these kind of things, and I just put up my hand, I said, because it's freaking awesome, man. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Hedges of camellias, you right. know. Yeah. You know, it's like why you have wouldn't, no challenge. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> well, we can't get away with that here um so we have to have things that are pretty darn tough because we get very extreme mm-hmm. uh with our weather so and a lot of bright hot sunny dry days that plants don't necessarily like so right when you're uh w- your favorites are the emus but what do you feel comfortable when mrs jones comes in and just needs you know <clears throat> Some stuff to go of along the front of her house. She's redoing the front of her house. What's the go-to? Uh, well, we find most of our retail customers are always wanting to add some color to the yard. It's color and yeah, color is kind of the number one option. And you know, from there, it just kind of is a matter of you know, what kind of space they're trying to fill. So, you know, to get in that three to four foot range, that's where those Tacomas really you know fit the bill. And up against the house, give you that pop of color. And then uh, from there, you can pop in some hibiscus or the bougainvilleas. Um, those Alexandria you mentioned earlier, you grow some flame varieties, majestic purples, some real nice shrub varieties for a variety of color of bougainvillea. Um, and then, you know, from there, even adding like lantana. I know it's a real common thing here, but like you said, you need something that's going to last through the, the heat of summer and give you color. It's, you know, those lantanas are tough to beat. Now, somebody that doesn't have all these plants designated to memory. You know, I know what a bougainvillea looks like. I know what a hibiscus looks like, lantana. But you, you've mentioned Tacoma a few times, and I'm sure if you pointed out to me that's a Tacoma, I'd be like, oh, yeah, I see those everywhere. That's what that is. What, what, what does a Tacoma look like? I, I guess everybody, most people know them as yellow bells, or orange jubilee is another strain. So yeah, well, now I, I know what you're talking yeah, about, I should, but go ahead and describe it. <laughs> I should use those common names. It'll be easier to identify. But yeah, yellow bells, you know, the most common variety of Tacoma, um, kind of an older older species that grows to more that, you know, 10 to 12 foot range eventually, if you allow it to, um, where, you know, VMPs introduced these, uh, 
more compact strains such as Sparky, Sparklads, or they're just uh, hybrids of, of the, those old Yellow Bells or Jubilee varieties that uh, stay more compact, fit the yard, um, give you that burst of color, and then a lot more color options than there used to be. Rather than just the old standard yellow or orange colors, you're getting, you know, with the Sparky, you're getting the maroon and gold of, you know, ASU. Uh, sparklets, you're getting more of that orangey with some striping into the into the throat of the, the flower. And a beautiful Arizona Saturday morning to you all. Great day to get out there and plant with the rain the last couple weeks. Still soft digging for most part in a lot of the areas. But before we get into any more specifics, um, I just thought, you know, maybe explain VP nurseries a little bit. I had the privilege of being on one of the Arizona Nursery Association's tours uh, that was hosted at VMP Nursery way uh Past Falcon Airfield. It was east. It was far east is what I remember. And a huge growing facility. Right in the flight pattern of what's Gateway Airport now. Um, But uh, that's about their third location. As as, uh, you were asking Keith about their locations, and, you know, sometimes in the nursery, nursery's kind of like dairies. You start here, and then the the city kind of envelops you, and then you have to move a little further out. And you keep moving, you know, um, uh, sometimes. So uh, what used to be way out in Queen Creek is now, you know, being encompassed by huge subdivisions and uh, uh, industrial warehouse space as the uh, 202 and the 24, the new 24 mm-hmm. highway and those types of things. So um, Demetrius Velajos uh started as a teacher uh came came to the united states uh, from greece on a work uh school american farm school program and um started teaching got a teacher certificate taught uh had a i think an internship or worked at the desert botanical gardens before he got his teaching certificate so he had this uh passion for plants, started growing some plants, Mexican bird of paradise, different things in his backyard um, and uh, got the kids, Nico, his son, to go around in a old beat-up van selling Mexican bird of paradise to, <laughs> to nurseries. And one thing has led to another. Now there are, if not one of, they are the, the largest acreage-wise uh, growing nursery in the state of Arizona. Um, some 40 years later. So it's it really is uh, the American dream story. Um, you know, an, an immigrant builds a business, works hard, and has built, <clears throat> you know, quite the, quite the successful, um, you know, enterprise. So it's uh, – VMP is, is strictly a wholesale nursery. Um, they don't sell to the general public. We sell to – retailers and other wholesale nurseries uh, like Treeland Nursery. And um, Treeland does it, you know, they they do just a, trem- a tremendous job, uh, purchase lots of our plants, uh, and uh, 
We appreciate it. And how many different varieties will y'all be growing any given year? Wow. <laughs> that many. <laughs> no, it's hundreds. It's hundreds. Um, and if you count, you know, cultivars, which are kind of even a sub-variety, it, it, it might be closer to a 1,000. I, I don't know the answer to that question, but it's a lot. Just in Bougainvilles alone, for instance, there's probably – 15 or 20 different bougainvilleas at any one time. Um, Tacomas, there's six or seven. Um, you know, so that kind of thing, if you want to count all the different cultivars as varieties, it's it's a lot. And, Keith, you all have a tree land. You have the retail location, but you also grow your own plants. You have a grow site as well that's, uh, like, if I remember right, that's 15 acres yeah, so at our retail location, we do grow on that same same site. Um, but you know, our company kind of started similar to uh, what Jay mentioned there with Demetrius and VMP, and that uh, you know, kind of as a backyard hobby, if you would. Where my grandfather in the early '60s was a fan of uh, collecting seeds and had a passion for it, and you know, the seeds germinated, germinated thankfully, and uh, we are where we're here today. But uh, you know, we opened our first store in 1965 in Mesa there. Uh, we purchased the, um, in the early 80s, we purchased the property on now with the, with the retail store as a growing yard initially. Um, but growing up when I was a kid, we always had, uh, you know, in our backyard at home, you know, over half our yard was one gallon plants growing just because we needed space to grow. And, you know, we didn't have enough room. Uh, so my dad had that foresight, um, my, my dad, Don Waltemeyer, in the 80s of, uh, you know, expanding our growing capacity and uh, moving out to the Chandler and Gilbert areas. To, to grow more, um, so like you said, we are a grower now. We grow on nearly, uh, well, nearly 100 acres now. Um, next year we'll celebrate our 60th year in business. Um, I'm third generation nurseryman. Uh, my kids, you'll see on weekends, uh, spring and fall, usually when it's busiest, we're running around helping out, you know, as they can. But yeah, as a as a grower, um, we can only grow so much. Uh, we grow a wide variety, also, you know, hundreds, if not close to a thousand of varieties. Um, once you break down the cultivars. And like you had mentioned earlier, Jay, a lot of these plants that we're talking about, VMP, I mean, is it trademarked? Is it, uh, when you say proprietary, is it? They are, yeah, trademarked. Uh, so you have exclusive rights for a certain number of years to to grow and propagate. Anybody else, that, if they want to propagate that, then they have to pay a licensing fee. In studio with Jay Harper and special guest Keith Waltermeyer of Treeland Nurseries. And anybody that's driven down Country Club has seen the W palm trees, but they may not realize what exactly the significance of that is. Yeah, so back way before I was, well, about the time I was born in the early 80s there, my my grandfather, taking it from the the old movie Mad, 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 Mad World um, with the W palm trees and the treasure buried at the bottom of it. Beneath it, uh, you know, it had that thought and placed it there. But yeah, it stands for our, our last name, Waltemeyer. So it's been there as kind of a staple. For... How, how do you grow palm trees like that? Well, they're brought in. They were about, you know, maybe a third to half that size originally. Um, just bare root and pot, pot it, you know, planted in the ground at an angle, the angle that they're at and braced. And once they root out, 
they'll support themselves from there and those braces are removed and they'll start to correct themselves. If you've seen them before, they'll kind of grow back towards the sun or more upright. Uh, just as simple as that. So did your dad find the treasure under the big W? <laughs> <laughs> I think we did, to be honest with you. Yeah, That's very great. Fortunate. <laughs> now, I've got a couple text questions to go through here at 411923. You can also... Join the conversation by phone at one 767 4348 That's 1-888-ROSIE for you. On the Tacomas, you had mentioned, uh, Jay, that they were, I, I think it was the, according to the text, and I, we went through a number of varieties there, but you had mentioned you know, a lot of these skyscrapers that are going up, the apartment buildings, the patios. Yeah, yeah. Um, is that something that would work in a non-lit north-facing patio? apartment uh probably i mean it would depend on the overhang and and you know how much shade there there is they would certainly grow it's just whether how much they might bloom or not depending on the light that's there but if i'm not mistaken a number of the uh i think it's called optima the the high-rise condoms and there's one in central scottsdale they just built one at kierland a lot of orange bells, um, just regular orange jubilees planted in a number of those balconies. On So if they're on the very outer edge of that, they certainly would, would grow. And I think it was Keith that mentioned something about the maroon and gold. Somebody was like, what was that? The plant that's the ASU colors? Yeah, so VMP, um, they've taken a few different varieties of, or created a few different varieties of Tacomas, but Sparky was the one that uh, kind of stands out with that maroon center of the leaf, with more that trumpet flower, and then that gold or outer on the petals. So, of, so George Hull, who developed that, was also taught some horticulture classes at ASU. So he developed this color, which is is pretty maroon and gold, and then... You know, trademark the name Sparky. <laughs> so, and I, I have. I'm sure there's some on the campus. I would imagine. <laughs> you, you, you know, you that's a, have a, that's a like really that good question. I don't know. I'm not sure either. I don't know. I think so. I, I would hope. <laughs> now, you were mentioning extremes, and we've had some nice, cool weeks. Lots of water, lots of moisture, lots of rain. Uh, but I saw like. We, we could be hitting 80 again in the next week or two. Um, and it will probably go back down again and back up. Is that going to start producing a lot of bloom that could, uh, you know, kind of like prematurely start blooming out that could hit frostbite a little bit later? Or are we past the frost worry? Well, I've always found once we get by th- uh, Valentine's Day, we're pretty pretty safe that's not to say we can't and we haven't um, but there's not much you can do about it if the plant's going to start responding and blooming um, you know it's gonna <laughs> it's gonna do what it's gonna do um, but yeah. this is pretty common yes yes absolutely it's uh, you know like you said it can happen it doesn't happen often but uh, you know with all the hard frost we had you'll see a lot of there's frost damaged plants on the outer parts of town. Um, so it is a great time to start to cut those back to allow that spring growth to to come through. Uh, I do encourage people on the on the frost damage. Generally, the plant will tell you when it you know you'll start seeing new growth right. uh, along the main stems and main trunk. That's also a good indication as to a lot of people just think that plant's dead and it, and it's not. 
you know, that there's a lot of superficial damage. The leaves are burnt. Though those leaves are dead, and some of that stem is dead, but how far back do I cut it back? Well, sometimes the plant will tell you, just look for where all the new growth is occurring and cut back to that to that point. I like to use it as an opportunity, however, to, to rejuvenate the plant, to even cut it back harder. Um, you know, instead of people have just been trained to keep a plant at the same size all the time by shearing it. Well, it's not very good for the plant to do that. Um, so if you get a, an, a year when it, things freeze back, it's a great opportunity to go in and be pretty brutal, frankly, with them. Um, cut them back pretty severely and then leave them alone. <laughs> Let yeah. them grow and bloom and, and do their thing. And it's really a lot less uh, uh, less maintenance. I did something um, uh, the other day that you know I, I don't know why I haven't thought of before. We did it years ago. In 2013, we had a really, really, really hard freeze. Um, it killed a lot of things. It was that, it was that hard a freeze. <clears throat> and the neighbors in my cul-de-sac and I, we decided, okay, we're going to all help each other. Cause it was, it was a big project to cut back, eliminate, do what we needed to do to all this damaged material. And we, we went and got, I don't remember if it was three or four of those, uh, bagsters from Wasteman, you know, <laughs> You go to you go to the hardware store and you buy a green bag and you put it out there and you fill it up and then you call waste management and they come pick it up. Well, I, I was thinking the other day, you know, as as I've gotten older, it's a little harder to deal with a lot of this, you know, stuff. Pruning it's fun and easy. It's cleaning it up and hauling it off. That's the pain in the rear end. So I did that just for myself. I went and got one bag and I cut all my roses back, I cut all the frost damage back, got it all out of the way, filled up one of those things and called them and they came and picked it up. So <clears throat> good not to be a, a an advertisement for waste management. They've got plenty of press this last week. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, th- that's the kind of pruning that ought to take place about now. Yeah, that's the biggest thing we find, you know, dealing with a lot more homeowners and retail on our end. Um a lot of people are just going to cut it back to a certain size. And over time, you know, three, four, five years or more, the plant can get really woody and just doesn't thrive how it should. And so that hard freeze does help things. And, and damaging that growth can provide for an opportunity to do a hard cutback, as Jay mentioned. And that plant will rejuvenate and come back sometimes even better than it was. Now, you had mentioned past the Valentine Day being past the frost. But that's also another key date for fertilizing. Correct. That's right. Yeah, it's a great time to feed. Um, you know, as the temperatures are starting to warm, you want to put, put those nutrients in the soil for that plant. Um, we get a lot of customers that, that don't feed at all and, and wonder why their plants are not thriving. And, you know, in and, and Phoenix, in our soil, it lacks a lot of uh, the, the matter that it needs to, you know, to perform and thrive. And doing that even just uh, once or twice a year can help. You know, instead of, you know, going three or four years not feeding it, why is my plant struggling? Well... They do eat, you know, and so providing that those nutrients for them will help them thrive even more. And depending on the plant and the size and the tree and the space, I mean, where you apply that fertilizer matters too. It does. On most shrubs, you know, anywhere underneath the plant would be fine. But with trees, um, you want to get to that canopy line. You know, those feeder roots are at that, that tree edge basically. So that uh, perimeter of the, the tree is going to be the most 
uh, efficient way to feed that plant or tree um, to get the most uptake from those uh, fertilizer. Now, when you're fertilizing a tree, what for you depicts if you're going to use a liquid or a granular? Um, for me, it's how often I want to do it. Um, for, for the granulars, are nice just because they tend to be a little more slow release or time released. Um, you know, so I mentioned doing it. You know, spring and fall. Yeah, of course, would, we're going to use true organic chicken manure, <laughs> right? Absolutely, or organic fertilizer. <laughs> absolutely. But with the liquids and you know, water solubles, you know, those work well and work quickly. Um, they just need to be done more regularly. You know, it can be done as often as monthly or you know every other month if needed. And what Jay was referring to kind of piggybacks off what we were talking about last week in hyper-local food. This is hyper-local fertilizer. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Complete the cycle, you know. <laughs> uh, you know, there's a number of big, uh, you know, egg hatcheries. Is that what you would call them? What you, egg, egg chicken farm. pens? Egg, egg ranch. Egg farm. Egg, an egg ranch. Well, egg's not the only product of a chicken. You know, sure. they got to do something with that manure so it's then composted and it's... And the farm's choice, and it was like six million chickens or something. Yeah, well, the farm's choice was purchased by True Organics, so it's True Organics um, products, and uh, yeah, they 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 source organic material from chicken manure to meat and bone meal to you know all kinds of rend- you know it's all the byproducts of a process, whether it's an egg ranch or you know. Uh, a beef processing or pork processing, chicken processing plant. And so it's just wonderful because it's all, you know, just recycled, if you want to look at it that way, material that uh, that we keep just, what's the new buzzword? Sustainability. <laughs> um, re, uh, so, yeah, regenerative um, farming, so to speak. And is that, that comes in granular? It's, is that a sack? Like a potting mix, how? Well, True Organics has what uh, you know, like a five pound. Yeah, five pound size bag. Size bag, and then we also commercially sell forty pound bags of pellets. So um, <clears throat> they've got a complete retail line of products. Now, when else should you be fertilizing? You'd said it depends on how often you want to do it. I mean, is there times in the summer where it's just too hot you could burn something up by fertilizing? Or is that when they need it the most, when they're getting burned up by the sun? <laughs> no, the heat of summer, I would definitely avoid. Um, you know, we, we kind of follow the rule of citrus here, which is, you know, a big thing for people wanting to grow their own fruit in their backyards. Um, so that that mid-February, you know, Valentine's Day time frame, uh, late May, so before the heat of summer, um, Around Memorial Day will kind of, you know, be the marker for that. And then again, Labor Day, kind of that mid-September, or early to mid-September time frame. Roses. I think somebody can relate to you, Jay, about, you know, the size of the project seem to be getting bigger over the years. The, they have a <laughs> <laughs> what used to be really easy isn't as easy anymore. <laughs> uh, this texture has a Palo Verde tree that's too tall to manage and wants to know if they just chop it off at 20 feet, will it just kind of bush out from there and stay at a lower level? Well, it'll bush out from there. But it won't stay lower. <laughs> but it won't. It's going to repeat. You're going to have to do it again. Well, you're going to have to do it again. <laughs> so, I mean, if it's a large Palo Verde tree and it's got, uh, that's something. You know, that's 
that's a valuable thing. Um, you know, it's it's been there a long time. It's grown a long time. If you if you like the tree and you really appreciate what it's doing for you uh, aesthetically and shade and everything else in the landscape, then I would probably spend a little money and have an arborist come out and at least consult with you as to how to do it the right way. Don't just chop it off. <laughs> when I hear those words, chop it, I'm like, oh, no, 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 please. Um, so, I mean, there there's some strategy involved in that as to how to do it correctly so that – because you will have to do it again. Oh, yeah. You'll have to follow up and, you know, cut it – chop it back. In a couple of years from now, you're going to be – So sometimes repeating. if you just chop it off, you're going to make the, the next time even harder. Right. Um, so I – at least the first time, get somebody to help you with that. See how it's done. Because it's not something you have to do every year. Right. Let's get to the calls. Stephanie's first on the line, one 767 4348 That's one I had a question. I have an Australian bottle a tree. Oh, it was planted about 44 years ago. Um, we didn't live in the house for a long period of time, although we've been here for the last 20 years. And the tree is dying. And we noticed... Uh, very even around the uh, trunk of the tree, very even little holes. I mean, they're like in perfect circles around the girth of the tree and up and up and up and up and so on. So I cannot determine from reading online whether these are insects. I've never seen a woodpecker on there, and I'm not sure if the Gila woodpecker is a sap sucker or not. Well, Jade. Hello? There's a lot there. We're thinking. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes we just don't have the answer like that. (laughs) One thing about Australian bottle trees is they have a a limb, and how it attaches into the trunk is in like a socket. And those limbs freely fall out, and they leave a dimple, for lack of a better word, in the trunk of the tree. So some of what you're seeing could be where limbs, especially if the tree is suffering— where the limbs have fallen out um, and fallen off the tree and left you with kind of a dimpling effect on the tree. Yeah, and and we've seen over the last few years more so than, you know, in, in the past that uh, we do see some woodpecker damage. It's actually becoming a little more common. Um, yeah. But, yeah, you'll see those small little holes, usually not too deep into the, the bark of the tree. And like you said, they're in perfect circles all the way around. So, it, you know, without seeing it, it's... Hard to say for sure, but it sounds like it might be a possibility. During the break, you guys were both talking about a lot of times you just need to prune with a shovel. <laughs> well, you know, if it's a large tree, that might be a, an exception to that. Although, you know, if they get bad enough at some point, you, sometimes you just have to face the music. Um, but certainly with smaller landscape shrubs, and even with just this frost damage. If you've got some stuff, you look at it and go, I'm going to have to prune it back to two inches above the ground. Well, maybe it's just as wise to dig it up and put a new one. If it hasn't been there very long, right? You know, maybe start over. Maybe maybe something that isn't quite as frost sensitive would be a better choice. So I think being realistic, especially with, with the, I don't know, with what I value my time, uh, and effort and, and everything else these days. I sometimes we, I think we fool ourselves into thinking we're, and I think some of it's because it is a living organism. It's a plant. We don't want to kill it. Sure. Uh, so to think. So, but sometimes really the best 
uh, remedy is to just replace it. And when you're getting into you know <clears throat> organics and local, having that decomposing material to your compost pile is just part of creating more healthy soil. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Hey, we had Miss Michelle call in, and she's with a little toddler, so she wanted me to ask you, Jay. Her nursery doesn't have the the Hickman compost. It, okay. So where can she get it? Treeland. We carry it. <laughs> yeah. And it's it, uh, so Hickman's eggs. <clears throat> I know I got that wrong. Well, <laughs> it's okay. It, it, their manure product was called the Farm's Choice, and that's been bought by True Organics. True Organics, and True Organics has a few other lines they've got a they've got a whole retail line but they also have uh the 40 pound bag pelletized fertilizer that's really more of a commercial product but nurseries like treeland have sold the 40 and 50 pound bags of of that for a you know some more names she lives north of town uh whitfield on 7th and glendale would have it um well, uh, maybe I don't know North of town. Yeah, Whitfield might be the might be your best choice. Okay, and that's True Organics. T R U True T R U E. Sorry, can't spell it. <laughs> True Organics. Now we said if we had enough time, we might hit roses, and we've got a texture that says if you have time, please ask Jay how to plant a bare root rose bush, and is it too late? Yes, it's too late. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I would. You know, our bare root season is really, really short here. It's it's like, yeah, maybe late December, early January, yeah, maybe to the first of February anymore. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, growing up, we used to carry bare root for years, and you know, anymore the last ten, fifteen years, we've just we'll we'll still buy bare root, but we don't sell them as bare root. We'll containerize them and and grow them out and root them out for the customer and sell them usually in March. So I could still go get a rose bush and plant it, just yeah, not a It's going to be root. in a container with a root, you know, with yeah. soil around it and a root ball. You're going to plant it just like you would a, a five-gallon bougainvillea right. or whatever. The work's been done for you. It's yeah. ready to go. And Treeland Nursery is located at? We are at uh, 2900 South Country Club Drive. That's um, on Country Club just south of Guadalupe. Look for the big palm trees. On the yeah. west side of the road. Yes, sir. Jake, thanks for joining us this Saturday morning. And VMP, uh, again, all these, you're, they're a wholesaler, so you've got to go find a local retailer. All, all pretty much every retailer that has a garden center that's a nursery is, has them or can get them for you. And if we didn't get to your question, hang tight. We'll take you during top of the hour news break.